Welcome, family. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We are here uh, for a wonderful conversation today. But before I get started, I want to uh, talk about Elder Anita's sermon last week and offer the youth, 17 years and under, uh, an opportunity to uh, submit uh, their answer uh, via email. So last week, Elder Anita Ray preached the sermon, Can I Get a Witness? What was the main Bible passage, book of the Bible, and chapter of this sermon? If you have your answer, please email it to families at ptspice.org. Good luck. Wasn't that video wonderful? It was, it was beautiful. And um, PT has been very busy in this time, uh, focusing on justice. I would like to just make a reference to uh, two parts of that video, and you would have seen the social justice small group and the social justice prayer time. The social justice small group uh, meets bi-weekly, and it's just a wonderful time of learning and fellowship. Uh, my husband, Clint, and I started that small group just under a year ago, and it is, it is very, very um, fulfilling, and we get to gather and talk about uh, justice and things related to justice in all spheres. On Tuesdays, we have social justice uh, prayer time, and that is at 1 p.m. Tuesdays are typically a day of consecration for our church, and so we uh, gather on Tuesdays for 30 minutes for empowering and uplifting prayer. So if you would like to join either of those, please go to the PT uh, website at ptspice.org, and please feel free to join us uh, in these um, times as we focus on on justice, because justice is indeed an imperative part of our faith. As God is a just and loving God, so too are we called to do justice and to live in love. Every time we use our voices and our influence to combat injustice, when we stand up for civil and human rights, when we speak out against economic exploitation, or fight for children affected by malnutrition or education or health disparities. We are standing for God's vision of the eternal kingdom. The Bible says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a mandate to love and to live justly on earth. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the mandate says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. And so in preparation for the conversation today, justice was clearly a theme. But a couple other things, too, connection and conversation. And as I thought of justice and connection and conversation, a story in the Bible came to mind. And the story is found in John 4. John 4, uh, I will read from 4 to 10, but it's a longer story. And it's about the Samaritan woman at the well. 
Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In the scripture, Jesus has a controversial encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. It was controversial for three reasons. The first was because Jesus was speaking directly to a woman. Rabbis, and Jesus was considered a rabbi in that time, rabbis did not speak directly to women. Second of all, she was a Samaritan woman. In those days, there was great contempt and conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews who considered the Samaritans outcasts and inferior to them. When Jesus asked this woman to give him water from the well, she herself was shocked. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Third, she was a social outcast because of her lifestyle and her past. She was shunned in her town because she was living with a man who was not her husband and had been married for five, had been married five times, which was considered a lot in that time. It's considered a lot today. As a result of her status in society, this woman was discriminated against. And we know this just by the time that she went to the well. She went to the well at noon, which is likely the hottest time of the day. In that culture, going to the well was a social interaction where people would come, get together, draw water, and talk. But here is this woman at the hottest part of the day coming to get her water when no one else would be there. So she was surprised that she saw Jesus. Jesus talked to her. Jesus took water from her. Jesus did not condemn her. As a result of this encounter, this woman went on to testify and she brought other souls, she discipled and brought other souls to Jesus because he showed her compassion I learned a lot from this story beyond how inspiring it was and, and how Jesus was just a rock star of justice. Um, I learned that this was an example of intersectionality. We're hearing this word more so, it's a more mainstream than it formerly was. And what intersectionality is, is it is that, um, there are various categories that we fall into, various buckets, 
right? Gender, our race, our socio socioeconomic status, our disability, our religion. And based on, on where these buckets and groups interconnect, that's how we're treated in the world, right? The, the way the buckets intersect determines whether we will be discriminated against or not. And right now in this season, right, there are so many different buckets that, that are, are causing friction or there's so much, you know, polarity, right? We have, we have uh, Black Lives Matter, which is, is such an important move. And if someone says Black Lives Matter because it's so important, someone will say, well, no, all lives matter. Or someone will say, well, blue lives matter. And, and you know, the, we, we just aren't able to, to embrace the intersection. And we want to stay one, we want to stay apart. And this conversation today is one where we are not going to do that. One where we're going to embrace the buckets, right, that we have. Because Jesus embraced the buckets that that woman fell in, right? It, was, it didn't matter that she was a woman or a Samaritan. He embraced her and he showed her that he could love her equally, right? Because God wants to bestow his favor upon us all equally and because we're all equal in the sight of God. So without further ado, I am going to introduce, well, you've heard about her, Bishop introduced her, but I'm going to introduce a phenomenal woman. Uh, she is a civic leader. She is a dedicated community member. She is a mother. She is a sister. Uh, she is the inimitable Superintendent Christine Elow. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Christine, we're just going to go straight into the questions. You are the superintendent of support systems in the Cambridge Police Department. Can you tell us more about that role and what aspect of your role are you most proud of? Sure. So support services is just the way the name sounds, is we support operations. So our patrol officers, everybody in uniform, they go out, uh, answer calls for service, and support services does all of the follow-up after the initial call. So it's all of our detectives, it's all of our outreach officers, it's our, uh, our social workers, our child psychologists, uh, also our crime scene unit, and we support the operations that respond to the initial call. So that's a hefty lift it's there. A hefty it's very lift. engaging, right? It is. Yeah. It is. What part of your work are you most proud of? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I will say I am most proud of the way our police department has really shifted away from a law enforcement model that I would argue uh, criminalizes poverty, homelessness, mental illness, uh, addiction, even adolescence, to a social justice model that really embraces outreach, uh, collaboration, uh, really connecting to the most vulnerable in our community in providing, you know, connecting them with services. Uh, one, I think, example that I have is really, I think, the relationship our outreach officers in particular have with our young people. There was a march, and I want to say it was a couple of years ago after another, and I'm almost sorry that I can't remember which death 
it was a, you know it was an unjust death of a of a black person uh and the kids in the high school were protesting and i got there early and i was able to see the young people uh the officers were there and what was amazing is the relationship that the officers had with the young people there were hugs there were laughs there were high fives and then the students got into their mission of marching and talking about the injustices and racist police across the country and as they were marching they would look at our officers and say we're not talking about you. We're talking about what's going on across the country. But just the example of those relationships, I, I, was, I was so proud just to see those relationships. Oh, there's a lot to be proud of there. Yes. Um, in addition to you know your pride for your work, I know that there is um, something else that you're extremely <laughs> proud of, uh, your twin boys. Yes, I wish I had pictures. <laughs> I know, I know, I wish we had pictures too. You know, as mothers, we're so proud of our children. I have a daughter, uh, Nia, and I have twin boys also, Adam and Baron. I know they're watching uh, from home, so hello. <laughs> um, and and there's such a, a cherished mm. feeling that we have when we think of our children. And uh, I, we reached out to some, a group of women and we asked for some questions, if they could submit some questions. And we got one question from one of our members who is a mother of three sons. Yeah. And Sandra Clark asks, I'm sure that you have had the talk with your sons about what to do if or when they're stopped by the police. What is it that you hope that your sons are able to tell their children about a police encounter? Yes, thank you for that question. I have had that painful talk with my almost 15-year-old twin boys. Uh, and when I first thought about that question, I really just, I want when they have children, that that is part of the history books, that they don't have to have the talk with their kids about how to keep them safe, but then instead talk about how I had to speak to them to keep them safe. But I hope that we get to a place where we don't have to worry when our young brown and black boys go to the store or go to the mall, I don't, where they don't have to worry about that unjust encounter. You know, one of the things I say to my children when they leave, in addition to giving them a business card with my cell phone number on it, I tell them to be respectful. Um, I'm really worried about the day when their innocence just gets crushed by an unjust encounter. Um, so I hope that when they have children, they don't have to worry about having that conversation anymore. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, as we think about mothers and we think about you and that conversation and, and how it just fills our hearts uh, with concern for our children, I think about the mothers who are um, taking serious action. We have three that come to mind, Sabrina Fulton, mother of Trayvon Martin. Mm. We have Leslie McSpadden, mm. uh, mother of Michael Brown Jr. Mm. We have Lucy McBath, Congresswoman Lucy McBath out of Georgia, whose son was killed. All three killed due to police violence. Mm. Um, and these mothers said, we're going to do something. We are going to uh, get run for political office mm. so that we can influence change um, systemically, right? We can influence change legally, governmentally. And, um, you know, so 
the protests and and all of the hashtags, you know, we're seeing this move uh, toward making change and creating change. Uh, one of the big things that has come up in these conversations has been uh, defunding the police and using the resources for community development. What do you what do you think about when you hear these? you know, defund the police chance. I, I can say that I understand. I understand um, that reform is needed. I think initially when I heard it, um, I, got a, I got somewhat defensive and I wanted to just talk a lot about all the work that we're doing in Cambridge um, to address systemic racism. Uh, but then I really had to sit down, particularly um, over these last few months, really sit down and acknowledge the pain that people who wear this uniform have caused brown and black communities for generations um, and acknowledging that pain and how we need reform. So, and, and I wanna bring it back to the city of Cambridge only because we have been doing so much work um, for the past decade to build relationships with our most vulnerable and also build relationships with service providers. What I would say is that I understand the shift, there's a need for the shift, and I really want the city of Cambridge and really across the country to make that shift really thoughtfully. You know, I, I don't wanna, as my mom would say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we are doing some really good work. Um, in the city of Cambridge, we have really, I think, filled some voids when it comes to how we engage with people who are struggling with homelessness and addiction, um, and, and we've really been able to you know, help people that go into crisis. So I, I welcome new models. I think the police have to be at the table um, in, a, in a cooperative manner to serve our community the best way possible. So let's look at some different um, models. And also let's think about some of the things that we're doing that's really good. I think reform is necessary, but I don't know that we need to totally do away with the, with the police as a whole. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, and you, you spoke just now about Cambridge's, uh, the Cambridge police and their engagement in the community. I, 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 you know, come to church in Cambridge and lived in Cambridge at one point, and, and I would agree um, that the relationships, the community engagement is, it is on display. Yes. You can see it. And um, we as a church as well partner with the Cambridge police, yes. and we also do a lot of work yeah. uh, in the Cambridge community around issues of justice and have been doing it for several years. PT has been here for a long time. And uh, I'm, I want to reiterate that you received our Community Service Award in 2018, so congratulations yes. uh, for that. We have a question from another member of our church, Deirdre Tao, who uh, her question is linked very much to what we were just discussing about community engagement. And her question is, as a civic leader, what holes or voids do you currently see in our community that need to be filled? And how can we as a church partner with you to help fill them? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think some of the biggest voids that I see are with our population, our young population, 18 to 24, maybe even to 30, uh, people who have graduated from high school and are still unsure about what they want to do with their life. I was one of those teenagers. You know, I grew up in the city of Cambridge. After I graduated from high school, I didn't have a clue 
and I wandered around pretty aimlessly for a couple of years. And those of the those that's the population that I see that is struggling to find themselves. And you know, unfortunately, many you know you know get into you know uh, crime or just into some things that are not so great. So I'd really love to see what we could do to support the 18 plus population who's just trying to figure out what they want to do with their life next and give them something to hold on to, to be passionate about uh, and to grow into their adult life with. So I think that's a huge void that I'd like to see more attention brought to. Got it. Got it. I hope, you know, we're taking notes because this is somewhere that we can also help. So yeah. great question. Thank you, Deirdre. Uh, I'm, I'm going to transition now to something, you know, that I'm sure many people want to hear about. Mm. And that is you are a woman in a male-dominated profession. I uh, did some reading on the statistics of women in, um, I would say, law enforcement, police service. And um, our country is made up of of about 51% women, just over 50, but 13% are, are represented in the police or in policing. And a good portion of that 13% are administrative staff, right? They're, they're staff. And so I think about how you have been able to rise in your career and achieve a, a level of vis- visibility that has not always been uh, afforded to women in this country. And we see it on that side, but then we also see it uh, with the victims of, of police crimes. Uh, we see that George Floyd and Armand Arbery, as difficult as it was mm. to get those convictions, their killers were convicted. Mm. However, when I think of Sandra Bland right. and Breonna Taylor right. and Vanessa Guillen, justice has not been served yet. And, you know, I, I hate to put you on the spot sure. with this question, but... Why do you think that there's no movement, no progress in this particular area? I really struggle, you know, with that question, and it it still bothers me to this day that I'm an anomaly, right? This is out of the ordinary, and still women are trying to find their, you know, just pay and, you know, just treatment. Um, so I, I really, I, I don't have a good explanation for why uh, people aren't as angry and outraged. I mean, I am, and I think we need to be angry and outraged at every unjust death, at the injustices. And, and you spoke about the intersections between, you know, race and gender and, you know, why is it that um, women are still struggling for that acknowledgement? Um, I, I don't know. I think it really is important for me to acknowledge that I have been supported by, you know, other than my mother, most of the people that mentored and supported me were men, and, and white and black men. Um, so why is it that we're still struggling for justice for, you know, young women, young women of color? Um, that's something that I struggle with every single day, but it also just gives me more just passion and desire to know that we have a lot more work to do. And when I think about the future, 
Uh, when I think about the young people that are out there listening today, you know, the young women, this is an honorable field. I really hope that, you know, there, that some of you can explore what it would be like to be a police officer. And I think we need to change policing um, in our, our society with how we treat women. We, we need to think about equity and inclusion and really not just say it, but really mean it and do it. And what does that look like? Um, and I don't want in, you know, 10 years to have a, a female police leader have that be an anomaly. You know, I, I'm still waiting for that first female president, right? <laughs> yeah. Is, is this going to happen in our lifetime? So I wish I had a good answer for the injustices between, uh, you know, races and genders, and, and I don't. Um, but I just know that we have a lot of work to do. And one last question for you. Sure. Uh, there are children watching. Yeah. And they might be considering a career in yes. this field. I yes. just spoke to the young women. And they, or they might say, I don't want to do that. Mm. It's, it's fraught with danger. Or, you know, they, they might have a, different reasons for wanting to do it or not wanting to do it. Um, what would you say to the, the kids? What does yeah. it mean to be a police officer? What would inspire them to consider this as a worthy profession? Sure. For me, you know, policing is about helping people. It is about helping the most vulnerable. When I became a police officer, one of the things I was passionate about was improving communication and relationships in communities of color. And what I would say to young people who are thinking about um or not thinking about policing is that this is a service field. This is a field that is about helping people. It is about identifying the most vulnerable in our community and connecting them with the services that they need. So if you are interested at all uh, in, in, in reforming the police, I think we need to think about reform and that's where we're going. Um, I think policing is going to be an incredible field and I think that as we move through, because I think we're going to see some real reform uh, with these movements that we see, this is going to be a true service profession where you can help the most vulnerable in, in our communities. Um, and so I would just ask that you take some interest in it. You can come and do a ride along, learn more about our cadet program uh, here in the city of Cambridge and even through our Police Youth Academy. There's just so many ways that you can get involved and learn more about it as you're figuring out what you want to do with your life, and I can be a resource. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, at this time, I would love to, if you don't mind, pray for you. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and we thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your heart um, and the passion of your job with us. So, Father God, we just thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to have a conversation, Lord. To, to talk about things that can be hard for some, Father God. But here in your church, Lord, we can come together and, and just um, glorify you, Lord, and bring you glory, Lord. And Father, I pray for Christine today, Lord God. I pray for Superintendent Elo. I pray, Father, as she goes back to work on the front line with her and her team, Father God, I pray, Lord, that the change that you have seen uh, in the Cambridge Police Department and the way in which they police uh, through partnership, through community, Lord, will be a standard that uh, is extended, Father, to other spaces and other states. Lord, Lord, you know um, what 
needs to happen, Lord, to dismantle the systemic injustice and the brutality that uh, is unfairly extended toward people of color, Lord God. And so we pray right now, Lord, that there will just be a transformation and a miracle, Lord God, that we can uh, connect and converse and realize that we are not all that different. And um, we pray, Lord God, for for wholeness. We pray for healing, Father, and we pray for unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It was a pleasure to be here and to have this conversation. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, please feel free to uh, email us at mail at ptspice.org. So email us at mail.ptspice.org if you have any questions or follow-up for both Superintendent Elo or myself. Uh, And we ask that you have a lovely, lovely day. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this service was a blessing. We want you to know that we are here for you. If you desire us to pray with you, please go to ptspice.org forward slash pray for me, where you can join our post-service prayer room or submit a written prayer request 